All right. Welcome to the Daddy-O Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Rob Burnett, and I'm here with Brad Bickerton. And uh, welcome to the show. On today's episode, we're going over the birth story. I am officially a dad. We have uh, the birth of Arthur Heath Burnett happened Friday, January 26th at 4.40 p.m. It's now February 1st. We're one week into or six days into my fatherhood journey. And Brad, I think we're going to talk about it a little bit. Before um, we get it to me, Brad, how's, how are things going with you? Things are going great. Uh, I'll tell you the, the shortest, cutest Theodore update is there's a local playhouse that has a zero to eight month old infant sing-along class. And I had a client cancel on me yesterday, so I was able to go to this class. It is literally as adorable as you think it is. Um, so that that was that was tons of fun. So things are good around here. Um, when we record a little bit more, I'll tell you about uh, Theo is now mobile. I wouldn't call it crawling, but it's definitely not uh, staying in place. So bunch to talk about there and another time. But honestly, we've been from the day we had the idea to do this podcast through now, you've always been thinking about what is it going to be like to be a dad? What what are you going to do? How's it going to feel? How's the birth story going to go? And now today, you know. So go ahead, start us off. When did you guys know what happened? Tell the story. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So let's see. So it was last Thursday. We were we were due on the Monday and it was Thursday and lo- we had an induction scheduled for the next Monday. So we knew induction was coming and Laura really didn't want to go through an induction. Uh, that was really scary. The idea of it was, was kind of, you know, it, we felt like it could be long and, and arduous. And so Laura started to get really anxious about wanting to get the baby out. And I was quietly confident that, you know, he was going to come along in his due due time and we'd get there. Uh, The funny thing was, you know, we kept trying to do everything we could, all the the little things to keep him moving in the right direction. And Laura got so anxious. Um, One thing we did was she went for a swim and she swam almost a mile uh, in the pool the day before. Yeah. And then... Her mom came down and they were hanging out in the afternoon while I was working and they ended up walking into town and she walked almost five miles with her mom. And uh, the joke was they stopped for an ice cream actually. And then they were walking back and and Laura's mom said that uh, her gait visibly changed and it was a little bit more of a waddle. And so, you know, we obviously you don't know in the time and hindsight's 2020, but she Laura was determined to get the baby out, and I think that that very clearly kind of got him going. <laughs> um, so the day of, which was Friday morning, I became aware of things at 5 a.m. So Laura says that she woke up at 3 a.m., kind of feeling a little bit, wondering if something was going on. But at 5 a.m., she kind of woke me up and nudged me and said, I think, I think I'm feeling contractions. Like, I'm feeling my stomach tighten every few minutes. I was like, well, that that sounds like contractions. And she was really kind of in, not denial, but real doubt that she was actually in labor. She kind of didn't want to get her hopes up. Mm. So we kind of laid in bed for a couple of hours. uh, And eventually I started timing it. I I had a little app that says like, you know, you just basically just one button. It's like start of contraction, stop of contraction. And it times both the, the, the contraction itself and the interval in between. And we started timing them and they were pretty regular and they were, you know, they were small and light, but they were happening. So we're like, oh, we're pretty sure we're in labor. Um, so around 8.30 a.m., we got out of bed 
and started kind of getting ready. So I packed the car with all of the the bags that were kind of already ready to go. And Laura got in a bath mm. uh, with the idea that, and we had eaten breakfast, but with the idea that, you know, that would help with the pain and we would just kind of ride it out. And we called the, what's called the maternity assessment unit, which basically called the hospital and said, here's where we're at. We think we're in labor. Um, here's what's happening. And they're like, yep, sounds like you are, but you should come in when you have three contractions in 10 minutes and you shouldn't really be able to speak through the contractions. Uh, and we were at about, about three contractions in 10 minutes, but the contractions were like 30 seconds long, not a minute. Yeah. And Laura could, you know, she felt pretty good during them. Um, when she was in the bath, she was able to kind of breathe through them. Wasn't in too much distress, staying real calm. Uh, and that was really nice. So, and I was feeling calm. So I know I keep need to, I keep need to put my own perspective in this. Right. So from my perspective, to, yeah. what's interesting is when we recorded the the halfway podcast last week, you were getting less calm. So when, when it came to the event, right, you knew you were in labor and sometimes I refer to this as it's like, you can be nervous about getting on a roller coaster, but there's a moment where the thing clicks in and you know, you're just on the ride. And so Same it's time. funny to me that your nervousness went away when you knew that labor was coming and you got back to who you are as a person, Rob, which is you had a plan, you had organization and you were holding it all together. Um, totally. Yeah, if I, <laughs> if, if I'm, if I may, I think that I'm a pretty good, like game time player, mm -hmm. like, um, you know, little things like when I take standardized tests, um, I usually get my best scores in the actual one better than the practices. Uh, when I was a bike racer, I could put out better numbers in a race than I ever could in training, things like that. Um, so I like, I kind of, I'm good at showing up on game day. Uh, so yeah, I felt very, I actually felt very calm during those first couple of hours uh, because things were moving finally, right? It wasn't worried about, is he okay? Is he not okay? Things are moving. They're natural. They're happening. Mm. Uh, so around 10 o'clock in the morning, I'm keeping my, my timeline straight. This is where things started to go sideways. Ooh. So we, Laura was out of the bath, starting to get ready. We still thought we had probably a couple more hours at home, foreshadowing. Um, and Laura was actually going to like bake some brownies to kind of stay calm, but it was time to kind of get dressed, be ready to leave at, at any moment. But we didn't, again, we thought we probably had two to three hours I had the car fully packed except for her bag because she needed to get dressed and she had kind of unpacked some of her stuff, uh, but everything else was ready to go. So then um, around 10 a.m., her water broke. Yep. And or in the UK, they call it the water. Her waters broke. So her waters broke. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of when all hell broke loose. So for any guy who doesn't know, and I had become aware of this, but wasn't really aware. So when your water goes, the pain skyrockets. And someone smarter than me and more medical than me understands why, but it's something to understand. So in the movies, when like the water goes and they go, oh, we're going to have the baby now. And ah, everyone goes off to the hospital and is happy. That's kind of not what happened, right? What happens is you go into labor, think contractions start to happen. Things are actually pretty manageable, but then if and when your waters break, the pain really, and we know this from friends as well, the pain really ratchets, ratchets up. 
So mistake one of the day was the last thing to do were things that I couldn't do to get in the car. Laura had to pack her bag. She had to get dressed. Mm. She still had wet hair, things like that. And so I tried to help, but this is where I had to get into like, well, I'll, I'll tell, I'll tell that bit in a second. Were you about to ask a question, Brad? No, I was just thinking through my story as well. I didn't, I don't know that I'd heard what you just said, which is the, when the water breaks, the pain ratchets up though. What happened with us is they broke her water but you know, they asked mm-hmm. and she said yes. And it was pretty violent. What happened to her body? Once that happened, she was shaking uncontrollably and you know, the kind of stuff where we didn't actually feed her ice chips, but you got it. Like it was a complete change in who she was and kind of in a horrifying way, I guess I'd say. And cause it's the way I've described it, but it's specifically around the, the water breaking time. It's like watching your loved one, you know, fall off their bike or get hit by a car. It's, it's really hard, even though it's natural and there's a lot of beauty in it. It was hard for me to watch that specific five minutes from when they broke her water through when she was kind of came out of that. So, yeah. So that's, and, and I know they'll often break water like, like during an induction or in labor, if they want to move things along and just be aware that it's a, it's a real step change because Laura went from being able to breathe. We had some mindfulness techniques. We had practice in pregnancy and things like that and some deep breathing. And she was nailing it before that. After that, it was not quite full on panic, but it was bad. So what happened was kind of got her upstairs, getting dressed. I kind of finished off all the things and I called, I recalled the maternity assessment unit and said, Hey, we're coming in now. They asked us to call back when we were actually going to come because we're about 20 minutes from the hospital. And like from upstairs, and Laura will tell the same thing, she was basically yelled down like, tell them I want the epidural. No, (laughs) forget the bath. I want the epidural. Start the clock now because it takes them about an hour to to get you the epidural at the hospital. They'd been very clear on that. And I was like, okay, so she wants the epidural. They're like, okay, just come on in. We'll, We'll take care of you. We're good. I love the self-advocacy too, because uh, you know, as we know, yeah. this podcast, the, Laura is both a physician and very used to what hospitals are like and yeah, the, the the pre-order nature of that. Uh, and uh, Yeah, she's like, have them ready, yeah, um, yeah, which is obviously not how it works, but she's like, I'm stating my preference now. I want it on the record. I want it. So, so, we, so she yells down, but she's still kind of getting ready. And it was funny. She was kind of like drying her hair and like doing a little makeup and like getting ready. But each time a contraction came, it was kind of overpoweringly bad. I mean, she was kind of fall, not falling, but like kind of coming down on having to hold herself up. I was having to hold her. It was getting panicky. So at a certain point, I'm like, stop it into the car, get in the car. Uh, and it took a second, but I, 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 she kept wanting to kind of do little things. And I was like, no more. You are in the car. You're not allowed to do anything else. And so I kind of put her in the car. And then I did two or three other things and then ran out, you know, in, in a minute or two and, and got in the car. Um, but that worked well. Like it was a little bit of, all right, you're not in charge anymore. I'm in charge. We're, we're going right. And then it went back to her after that, but I just needed to kind of break her of the panic of like her normal routine, getting out of the house. And it's like, no more. We're just out the door. That was one of the things I was able to do a little bit as well is, is when it was time for me to take over, I could. Um, whether Sarah Beth could, didn't have, you know, agency anymore because she's going through contraction is painful, whether it's uh nursing staff change and we need to kind of tell them our preferences. And so 
and I know this one's going to be mostly the birth story, but in my leadership coaching, the first thing I always teach is observation skills. Learn how to sit in the back of the room and watch what's going on, but then also learn when you can get involved and help versus when you're just being somebody doing something, right? And so that's what you did here is Laura was fine doing everything her way for her whole life until all of a sudden water broke, five minutes went by, switched. She needed you. She needed you to do that. And you did. And then and someone needed it, turn it she off. needed someone to tell her. Yeah. She needed someone to tell her, stop drying your hair. This is yeah. not what we're doing right now. We're off. And it's like, okay, yeah, I got it. I got it. I got to go. This day um, is not like a normal one and yeah. things you normally do. Okay. So now you're, you're getting a wet haired, um, wife in the car, wife we're on the their car. way. Um, so the, the car ride was quite tough. She was in a lot of pain. Um, and she actually ended up vomiting twice from the pain in a 17 minute car journey. Um, we brought a bucket. I had never really heard of anyone vomiting in labor. So like that was a new one. Wasn't expecting that. Um, but she, I get champ, total champ handled it. Great. Uh, what we got to the hospital, you know, parked in the little, like right in front in the little 20 minute parking spot, had her out and in. Did you practice parking, uh, driving that and, and parking, uh, in the weeks leading up? We did, but only because that's where a lot of our appointments were, were at the hospital. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure we would have had the forethought to go do that if, if we hadn't gone there probably five or six times for appointments, but we knew the area we do the drive highly recommend. If, uh, if you don't already like know where the emergency, there was four kind of, uh, maternity spots, like just around the corner, there's like, you know, one hour, you know, emergency maternity only, but then like basically the little, you know, half moon driveway under the little, you know, in front of the doors, there's little two little 20 minute parking spots for emergencies only. I'm like, boom, that's me. I'm in ended up staying there for two hours, by the way. Yeah. Uh, sure. no yeah. They're you also fine. don't. Don't worry about that. <laughs> that that's Take the other thing we were talking about it before. I think you said they have six hundred births a month at, at your 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 place. Yeah, six like six fifty. Yeah, and so anything that you're doing isn't new to them, right? Parking in the wrong spot, or you know, using the wrong words, or being nervous, and that was something that just I I learned through that system of being in and around our birth center was I can kind of do whatever I want because these people have seen everything, and they'll guide yeah. me to the right place they're good with that yeah 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 so sorry so so we're parked we're in they get her in and they take the, they were very nice and i a huge shout out to the whole staff at the john radcliffe hospital like everyone was awesome total rock stars uh we got we got into the maternity assessment unit which is kind of the triage for all the mothers and then there's really for us there were two places we could end up one is called the spires which is where we intended to head Spires is a, it's just a, a brand name for, not a brand name, a, just a term that they use for, it's the seventh floor, top of the hospital, and it's a midwife-led unit. So there's no doctors. You're in the hospital, but it's midwife-led, uh, pools, very nice rooms, very calm environment. Um, and so the pros are, it's very calm. It's a great way to give birth if you can do it. The cons are you, you. the only pain relief available is gas. They call it gas and air here. Basically, I think it's like laughing gas. Like you just yeah. breathe into a, a thing. Oxide. Yeah, yeah, nitrous oxide. Or uh, you can do some of the opioids there, depending. Um, and that's where we had wanted to go. But the and the and the other time is the I actually don't even know what's called. Just the, the normal maternity ward. Um, 
we went into a waiting room, not a waiting room, a kind of holding room, an initial room. They did an initial assessment of Laura. Everything was looking fine, but she was only two centimeters dilated, mm. which was annoying and a little scary because for anyone who doesn't know, you need to get to 10 centimeters to have the baby. And what they told us is, is it can take four to six, four to eight hours to go from basically one zero to, to four and four centimeters is actually active labor. And then from four to 10, it's like a centimeter, half a centimeter to a centimeter every hour. So to get from, you know, four to 10, you're talking like six to 12 hours. Yeah. And at this moment, Laura's in immense pain, like really can't speak, really can't do much. So they get her right on the nitrous, nitrous oxide, which you breathe in while you're going through a contraction. Um, and they have to kind of check everything. And we were like, okay, Spires is out. We want, we want an epidural. Mm-hmm. We were not doing the midnight. The pool was a great idea in theory, not happening. So definitely not happening. Um, so, you know, we're like, nope, we want to be on the, the, the ward, take us in there. And so they did. And what was, this is where things started to go really well. So we went, uh, we went literally around a corner into the first room. We had a room to ourselves, had great windows, beautiful space, really nice. And uh, in the UK, you get assigned a midwife. Uh, and I should point this out in the UK, midwife is almost like an RN or like, a um, like a physician's assistant, like it's a medical thing. I think in the U S it gets a lot of connotation, like doulas and midwives get kind of mixed up there. It feels a little kind of witch doctory, mm-hmm. not to, not to cast aspersions on doulas or anything else. They're actually really, really helpful. We didn't have one, but like good for them. They're really useful, but they're kind of seen as outside of medicine. I think in the U S whereas in the UK, they're very much part of medicine. They're very medical. So in the UK system, you get assigned a midwife and she's with you basically through the birth, uh, or if you have to switch over, you might. Um, so we got assigned a lovely midwife, uh, Elle, who shout out to Elle. She was amazing. Uh, she brought us in and we're basically like, okay, we want the epidural right now. Mm-hmm. You have to do 20 minutes of observation on the baby. Uh, and then the anesthetist can come in. We started, it was going, it took about an hour for the anesthetist to come. Laura mm-hmm. sent me out. Oh, oh, sorry. I'm I'm getting ahead of myself. But the, the one other moment in this where I felt kind of, out of not only out of control, but kind of uh what's the word I'm looking for? Over your skis or head underwater or, um just kind of uh, insufficient mm. was when Laura was in pain, she's like, go out there and like tell them I want the epidural right now. And of course I do it. I'm like, oh I gotta go do it. I you know it's one of those things where like you don't want to go and yell at the doctors like give my wife the treatment, but you also got to do it. So I went out and I ended up by accident kind of walking down a hall. I wasn't supposed to go down. Like <laughs> patients were supposed to be there. And I was like, can someone help me? Like we really need this. And they're like, you know, they see this every day. They're like every day he's, he's coming when he can come. The anesthetist is on his way. He'll be there soon. <sighs> Good news was he did come relatively quickly for Laura. It felt like an eternity, sure. but for hit, but it was, it was about an hour. Um, and amazing man did a great job. Very professional. Got it right in, cited it, got it going. And Laura's whole world changed when that epidural went in. She literally like woke up and was like, oh, 
sorry, hello everybody. Like I'm Laura, good to meet you all. Like, sorry about the last hour. Uh, that was horrible. This is amazing. Um, and so that really changed the whole game for us because Laura went from being basically completely incapacitated in pain at two centimeters dilated, looking, staring down the barrel of 12 hours of basically unbearable pain to sitting up, looking great, feeling totally good, really happy. Um, and this was about 10.30 my screen, 10:30 in the morning, something like that. I might be messing up my timeline slightly, yeah, but you will. <laughs> a lot happened fast, and yeah, yeah you didn't have somebody b- behind you logging your actions. Right? That's that's a little bit of what this recording is for: is to, exactly. to remember it the best you can. Okay, so you're so you're post epidural. Yeah. You're in the medical facility. Uh, you are now. How many people are coming in and out of the room? That was that was something I remember. This is cool. So really, two. So once the so a couple things happened. Uh, one doctor came in to check Laura uh, before she had the epidural and help set um, help place a uh, uh, basically place an IV, but it, it wasn't actually hooked up. Just place it so that yep. if you need to go to get a C section, just placed. Uh, there was our midwife L, and then one other midwife came in as kind of a tag team, but was secondary, and that was kind of it. I think that was basically anyone. Maybe a couple people came in and out a little bit to like drop something off or or to check in and say hi. But basically, basically we had one great continuity of care, one midwife, and that was it, and one secondary who took over when our when I've had like a, a lunch break and things like that. So that wasn't really the experience that we had. So we were, yeah. you know, we were induced on a Thursday night, um, sorry, on a Wednesday night, and there's just this constant rotation of people. Now, most of the time they're leaving us alone because there's not much to do, but wait, but just the sheer volume of people who came in and, and helped provide for us in that 48 hour period. I can't even tell you how many, 15, 18, something like that. A huge amount of nurses and baby, and this is the baby's nurse. And this is, the, this is Sarah Beth's, you know, doctor and, oh, they shifted, you know, here. And that was something that just blew me away was um, how much staff and how much, how many touch points and that I was trying to hold that in my head. Who is this person? What is their job? Why are they here? You know, when I need to advocate, do I advocate to this person, that person? And I never quite, I still don't understand how that system works. They know how it works. They got the gnomes and wizards behind the doors, but yeah, I was, uh, okay. <laughs> and I'll tell you about the, how we got out of the hospital, um, later on in the, in the episode and, and how I helped with that. But Okay, so Laura's back alive. She's she's awake. She's she's coming into it. But we've got a long journey ahead because we got quite a few hours and quite a few centimeters to go. Yes. So this is where we kind of settle in for the long haul. Uh, you know, I went and moved the car. You good. Uh, I went and got us. I oh, she wasn't allowed to eat anymore. Uh, one thing we did not know was that once you got cited for an epidural, at least in our system you can't eat anymore because there's a risk that you could end up in surgery. And so they don't Mm. want you eating. So we snuck her a cheeky hot chocolate to get some sugar in her system. But I, I went and got lunch for myself. Sorry. Uh, at at her insistence. Um, and we kind of settled in. Uh, the other thing I got was basically Gatorade. They don't have Gatorade here, but I got the equivalent. And that was really useful because Laura needed to keep her sugar up. So we kind of got that into our system early and often with the, the thinking that we got a long way to go and doing it on no food is not going to be any good. Um, so yeah, we settled in for about four hours 
because they try to wait about four hours and then they want to check again, see how dilated the cervixes and then, you know, figure out from there where to go, right? Four hour checks and kind of speeding up, right? So through that time, everyone was kind of fine, settled in, hadn't even cracked a book. We're Mm. just kind of still settling into the, we were still kind of settling into the hospital. So at 2.30, I know this, so at 2.30, it was time to do the first cervix check. And we were hoping for four centimeters dilated, something like that, um, to kind of keep the ball moving. Because the worry, to take a step back, the worry about an epidural for us was that you're mostly immobile. So, you know, one thing that helps the baby come is like walking down the hall or bouncing on a ball, things like that. And when you have to, when you're kind of stuck in bed with the epidural because you can't feel your legs, um, it can really slow things down and, and increase the risk of you know instrument delivery and things like that. So our, so we our were facility real, yeah. is one of the few in the area that does something called a walking epidural. And my best understanding of this is that it's basically half strength, so they can still feel their feet, and so that they can they can walk. But they've also got the epidural, which is on the, the that rack, right? It's called Christmas tree. And so Sarah Beth went for a walk, and we had a doula, and you know. Let's on one side of Sarah Beth. I'm on the other. I'm you know pushing this thing forward, and for who Sarah Beth is as a person, movement was so helpful for her. If she had been stuck in that bed for the entire time from epidural through baby, it just it not good for her. Um, so anyway, that's just a a side note yeah, for, and for our listeners. What? Uh, yeah, and we didn't. I I had heard about walking epidural, and that wasn't. They kind of didn't present us with the option, but one thing is Laura kept the dose as low as possible and she had the opportunity to kind of like self press more and she didn't touch it for a very long time. And one thing that got us, this is kind of, again, uh, foreshadowing for the future. We were really lucky. And I don't know if it was because the anesthetist was great or because we got the dosing right or because Laura being quite fit is very in touch with her body, but either way, the pain went entirely away for Laura but the pressure didn't. So she could feel every contraction, but didn't, wasn't in pain from them. And what the, our midwife was telling us was with a lot of women, when they get an epidural, um, whether because they maybe aren't as muscular or they, it's too strong, is they can't feel their own contractions. And that comes into play later when they have to push. Because they basically, the midwives have to feel for the contraction and say, okay, you're contracting now. Now you have to push. Whereas Laura could feel, and she could move her legs. She probably could have gotten up and walked, but she could feel herself the whole time, which was really vital. So at 2.30, we do the first check. Again, hoping for maybe three or four centimeters dilated, hoping just to have made progress. The midwife basically looks up and goes, you're fully dilated. Baby's ready to come. And this is where I had a moment because I was, I was fully going into this expecting to, by the time it came to push, I was expecting to have been in the hospital for hours. I was expecting for everyone to be exhausted. I was expecting kind of like a long, slow journey towards birth. And instead, like six to 12 hours before I was expecting to, the midwife's like, okay, well, like baby's on its way. Um, the other, the other way to say it is the, the, our midwife got off at her shift ended at 7 PM. And when we first got there, she's like, uh, I get off at seven. There's no way I'm going to meet your baby. I'm really sorry, but let me know how it goes. Like, I'll be with you to seven. Then I'll hand off, but there's no way I'm meeting your baby. She went from that to checking and saying, 
oh, there's no way I'm not going to meet your baby. <laughs> like, I'm absolutely meeting your baby today. This is happening. So I had like my own little quiet in my own brain freak out because I was like, holy shit, he's coming right now. So the good news is we had an hour. Basically, they said, okay, she's fully dilated. We're not going to touch anything for an hour. We're not going to push. We're not going to do anything. We're just going to let things continue to progress uh, because they don't want mom to get exhausted by doing too much pushing. And so basically you got, it's basically like you got an hour. So I like went to the bathroom and before, you know, I'm like sweaty palms. I had to like mm-hmm. go take some deep breaths because I, you know, this whole, again, this whole uh, process that I thought I was going to get to go through kind of slowly ended up right in my face. So we kind of take an hour off. And then I, I, again, timeline's a little fuzzy, but basically Laura gets to the point where she's like, I feel like I kind of have to push. Like, I don't yeah. think there's an option, which was great because it's really good sign. Um, and then I know this, I know this for sure. At 4.08, we started pushing. So again, 2.30 to 4.08, maybe we took an hour and a half to wait. I'm not sure. But at 4.08, we started pushing. And this is where full shout out to Laura. Oh, absolute rock star. Um, we, I, for anyone who doesn't know, what you do is you, when the contraction goes, you do three, you hold your breath for 10 seconds and, and push 10 seconds on, take a couple deep breaths, and then try to do that three times over the course of a contraction. And Laura was able to feel the contractions and push really hard. And you know, again, I hate to preach, but like her being really fit was super helpful because she wasn't getting to the end of each contraction, like laboring for breath. Like she's an athlete. So she was like, yeah, okay, this is like three really hard crunches. Like I'm, you know, she got through the first two or three of them. She's like, yeah, I'm, I'm good. So- like I'm feeling good. She understood how to push, um, I guess is a question, because Sarah Beth didn't have that down so well, but we also had this super obnoxious um, beeping monitor thing for baby, and so it's distracting us, and then we're having different people in, and I just remember it was right near the end when Sarah Beth basically, um, not too kindly, but not like a jerk, told everyone to shut up at one person. She didn't care who that was. Right. And it's yeah. this woman, this nurse named Grace, um, took over. But as soon as Sarah Beth was able to take charge of the room and then stop listening to people and the beeping noise and everything and really focus in on what it is to push, baby was out minutes after that. But up until then it was it was confusing and difficult for for her and for me. Um, so that's why I'm asking if 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 Laura intuitively knew how to push. I don't know if it was intuitive, but two things happened. One is we put her in what was called the left lateral position, which is um, the evidence suggests that it's got the least uh, risk of tear. And it's the easiest way to 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 go. And and the midwife knew it. Um, Laura was deciding between that and being like kind of on all fours. And uh, the midwife was like, "No, you should do left lateral. It's it's got the lowest risk." And Laura quickly pulled out her phone and Googled it <laughs> just to check. And she's like, "Yep." That that our midwife is right. Um, that is the lowest <laughs> risk. So we're we're gonna go with that. Um and yeah, again, this is where it helped where it was only one person in the room with us. It was our one midwife. So what they do is they wait till basically baby's at the doorstep and then they bring in one more person to kind of watch over the shoulder. And so yeah, Laura, and I don't know if we she definitely told us, like, here's how you push. You 
you know, chin to chest, chin to chest, hold your breath and bear down hard. Basically, like you're trying to take a huge poop for 10 seconds. And so that was the instruction we got. We had kind of known that a little bit from talking to other people. So we, it wasn't like the first time we'd ever heard that's how you push, especially the holding your breath part. Uh, that is apparently very important to get the kind of push you need. Um, but yeah, Laura took to it really well. And, and basically every time she pushed the baby moved and kept coming, which is good. It meant that, you know, she was working it and our L our midwife had to say like, no, no, push harder, like crank it up. Like it was almost like a fitness class. Like, no, no, you can go harder than that. Like go harder than that. <laughs> and Laura would like bear down harder. And she's like, yeah, there you go. Like it's moving. And that was a moment that was really beautiful for Laura and I. So basically what I did was I kind of got in her face. I kind of forehead to forehead because she was kind of on her side and I counted out the 10 seconds and I alternated between kind of counting down the 10 seconds and basically just kind of being like a fitness coach, like, come on, push harder. Give me more. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. You got this. And what was beautiful about it is because Laura wasn't in excruciating pain and because she was so fit and ready to go. She wasn't exhausted. She wasn't kind of saying, stop, I need to stop. I need to take a breath. It was all very common. We were able to kind of lock in with each other. There was no panic. It was just go. Um, some other moments in in that pushing time that were pretty crazy was uh, as the baby's head started to crown, one is they invited me to look and I did not think I was going to look at all. And I ended up looking Yeah, and it was okay. Good. I didn't faint. I didn't end up on the floor. Uh, I didn't, I didn't do like full on like baby coming, but like as the baby gets closer, you can kind of like see, you know, he's got a full head of hair. I could like see yeah. some of the hair coming out and you can kind of see it. And the other thing they let Laura do she, is basically she asked Laura, do you want to feel his head? And so Laura was able to kind of put her hand down between her legs and kind of feel the baby's head. And I guess there's a, there's a vein there. So she was able to feel the baby's pulse hmm. basically in her vagina as it was going. And that like really energized Laura. She's like, this is so cool. Like he's there, he's coming. This is great. <laughs> and he's doing good. And it was a like, kind of evidence to her that things were going well. Um, and then things all happened very quickly. So it took 32 minutes of pushing yeah. for the baby to come. And kind of before we knew it, it was like, Oh, she, it was, just one one push she was like okay stop pushing and now blow out candles <laughs> and that was just get the head out and the head came and then basically he came and he was crying right up on her chest and like we didn't before we knew it he was just there and just it was there. yeah oh god and it was the whole so the whole day from like 10 30 arriving to 4 40 p.m he was born that was just a whirlwind. Like it happened so much faster and so much easier than we ever could have imagined. And so for everyone out there who's listening, I think we had literally the best possible birth experience. You have minus like one hour of pain. Laura was like happy and healthy in minimal pain and moving through it the whole time. I do not think our results are typical and I am not going to claim to have any magic. I'm not going to be holier than, than anybody, but oh my God, it was, it was basically the most perfect, amazing, like beautiful, easy birth experience we could have ever. I mean, it wasn't even on our radar that it could be that good. Like to the point where Laura was like, that wasn't that bad. I, I would do that again, which is wild. Mm -hmm. uh, what's funny is until this story listening, because you know, you this is yours and my first time. Yeah, you talking, haven't heard this before. I would also have said, 
ours was the easiest birth story that I'd ever heard until I just heard yours. <laughs> yours is easier. Uh, maybe I, I were an A minus and you're an A plus. But I remember not not feeling super conscious about it. But it's you don't want to brag about how I mean because it still was tough. It just a lot of friends and people I know and a previous history that I have with premature babies. Like I know a lot of horror stories. I didn't know that there could be normal stories and it was difficult, but it wasn't catastrophic. It was just difficult. And yours is even a ratchet nicer than that. And having to come to that, it's okay to have easy things and it's okay to be thankful for easy things and not to be ashamed and not to hide. And this is one of the reasons I love doing this podcast with you is like, let some other fathers know it could happen easy and that's okay. Yeah. And, and I just want to be like explicitly clear with everybody. Cause I think there's people like you see them on Instagram, the kind of charlatans where it's like, I gave birth and it was super easy. And here's the 10 steps or like, you know, if you just breathe right, you can have a natural birth and everything will be fine. And the medical establishment, none of that. Like we got so lucky and we did a yeah. lot. Yeah. We, we worked, we worked really, really hard to get that luck. We worked really hard to get that luck, but we were lucky. And I, I want to, yeah, exactly what you said, Brad. I want to tell dads that it can be a manageable experience, but I also want to be like super clear that, yeah, you know, like our midwife was like, that's the most beautiful birth I've ever seen. Like that was wild. Oh, and, you know, and, and like, maybe she was, you know, I tell everybody, but, but I think she was literally like, no, no, you don't understand. Like that was not like, th- this is not how it goes. And so we're counting our lucky stars and I do not want to be the person who's like, oh, it's easy. It's not a big deal. Like it's a big deal. We are part of a group of people in our, in our NCT class. I, I spoke about an earlier pod and there it's a group chat of people who all gave birth around this time. And you know, everyone else has basically some horror story mm. and we basically don't. And we actually feel quite awkward about yeah. con- contributing and not because they're not totally lovely people who would be so happy for us, but like, you know, we don't have anything to complain about. So I'll finish the story, but it's, it went so well. So the, the one twist in all of it was that um, for any dad who doesn't know what meconium is, mm-hmm. uh, we had meconium. So basically the baby pooped well before he was born. Uh, and so he came out covered in blood and vernix and all the other things and poop. Mm-hmm. So uh, that was part of our experience for the next couple of hours because we didn't want him to get cleaned off. Um, yeah. And apparently that included the meconium, which is basically amniotic fluid that he ingested and it's comes out as poop and it's sticky and tarry and, and quite gross um but doesn't smell too bad but basically so he ended up on laura and so she got kind of covered in vernix and then he needed to come to me and i got covered in in meconium as well so you know part of my birth experience is just kind of being covered my whole kind of chest and, and stomach kind of being covered in poop uh but you know what you don't you don't really care no you, uh, you, you, you super don't and um it is a messy process and I, I yes. thought that was something that was pretty interesting is, okay, we'd cut the cord and now that, you know, one doctor leaves and another nurse leaves and then there's one woman left. She's just cleaning up a lot of messy stuff. And, yeah. you know, that's why the the room, like the, the father's bed is a, is a terrible couch that can easily be cleaned off of any human, anything, because it probably needs yeah. to four times a week. Um, but yeah, it was, it was surprising to me how, how messy the process is. So, and the good news is though, it was quite lovely post-birth. So we had held the baby, um, 
got him weighed. Laura got, you know, we, it was basically the same mid, two midwives cleaning up. So Laura needed a couple of small stitches, but was otherwise quite well. Um, she birthed the, uh, a very good, I looked at the placenta as well. So I, I got way more visual kind of, I was way more in it than I thought I was going to be, but I was mm. okay. Um, I cut the cord, which I wasn't sure I was going to do. Also, if I'm, I'm not gonna lie a bit for me, a bit anticlimactic, mm. it was fine. It was just a like little cutting thing. The cord, like, you mean? Yeah. Cutting up the cord didn't, didn't stir deep emotions in me. Um, it was fun to do. It was kind of cool, but that, that's how crazy. I felt about it too. I'm glad I did yeah. it. And if we ever have another kid, I'll do it again. And there's, there's a, there's a, a ceremony to it or a celebration of doing it, but the actual action. Okay. And, uh, and so that's the other question I'd have for you. You know, you and I got this, and again, a lot of the reasons we started this podcast was because that book, The Expectant Father. Um, did your yeah. whole incredible world change? Because um, Sarah Beth's did, um, but I got to say, mine didn't. You know, and I love the death out of Theo, and it's great, but I did not have, you know, this overwhelming flood of emotions and hormones and angels dancing on the head of a pin. It was just kind of, like you said, anticlimactic and and neat, but not earth shatteringly change, which it was for Sarah Beth. So how was it for you? Yeah, that's definitely something I wanted to kind of talk about and unpack on this, on this recording. So probably somewhere in the middle for me, there was definitely like the first moments where it was like, I was very emotional. I cried, cried with Laura. We had kind of done it. It was amazing. It was great to see him. But then I definitely, I crashed hard off of the adrenaline high of the birth. And I don't know if that was heightened because it all happened so fast, but it was definitely tough for me because I really came off of that high of like adrenaline, sweating, working hard, getting everything done to now like the baby's here and things are quieting down. And I felt a real, definitely nothing even close to like, this was a mistake or what have I done? Or like, oh no, but there was a real lowness of like, okay, everything kind of came correct, which makes total sense, right? Whenever you have this massive adrenaline rush, you're going to come down off of it and just be ready for that. So like, and I didn't go through the the physical thing, but I was with it. So there was definitely like a real kind of come down of like, oh, okay, like this is like my whole life has changed, but I also kind of feel the same and I feel a little bit low. It was still mostly happy, but there was this undercurrent of like, oh, I probably need some sleep and I need to like let this grow over time. Mm. And then the two other things that I think were surprising to me is, and they might have been linked and I need to unpack this more for myself, but one is, so obviously we like called some people from as Laura was getting cleaned up and things like that. And it felt very weird to me. To it almost felt maybe it was like hearkening back to the pandemic where I was separated from family, mm. but it felt very weird to me and very I didn't like it like introducing my family members to Arthur Arthur mm. Heath Burnett, which I don't think I've mentioned on this podcast. That's my son's name uh, via FaceTime, especially with like slightly bad connection FaceTime. Yeah. It felt very unsatisfying. And so I found that we were lucky enough that both uh, both sets of grandparents, my parents and Laura's parents, got to meet the baby the next day. And I found that I didn't really 
kind of feel fully calm until after that happened. Mm. And I think that, I think some of it was around anxiety around naming him. Cause I, I did, I wasn't hit with a, 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 a lightning bolt of inspiration around the name. It was hard work to get there. And I wanted to look him in the eye and say, is this Arthur? Is this not? And I didn't, I wasn't kind of, I didn't get a clear yes or no. I thought it was, but I didn't. So I think there was some anxiety there. And I think also I wanted someone else to see the baby and t- mm. like, tell me good job or something. And I, and it, seeing Laura's parents, honestly, and my parents meet the baby, it, that probably was the biggest emotional change for me. That made me feel like, like seeing them well up and cry because both sets of parents did and meet him. And that's when I felt like, okay, I've done, I've done something and it's good. And it, I, I don't know why I needed that external validation, but I, for me, that was my journey of like, felt amazing on the day. I don't want to downplay it. Um, it can be both, right? It can be both. It, it, it's just your but, story. But was, it's not. Yeah, it's just my story, and I I want to I want to be honest and share it. And so that was that weird kind of first night and all these things. But then that's when I really feel like my journey took off is like when I got to introduce him to someone else who I knew and loved. And then from there, it's been an amazing week. So we're we're now six days into his life, and there's so many more stories to tell. But that's the that's basically that we uh, we spent. I'll I'll finish the story. Right. So Laura gets cleaned up. Um, we get put up in a room uh, for the night because the baby had pooped. Uh, during the birth, uh, we had we had to stay overnight for uh, for observation, but that ended up being great. We got almost no sleep, um, yep. partly because it was like midnight before we got to the room. Partly because we were so excited. Partly because he actually did was pretty quiet, but Laura was just staring at him. And I was like, Laura, you you've been up for like twenty three hours. You got to get some sleep. She's like, I can't. I just want to look at him. That's so so it was all fun. Uh, we got home the next day and and basically have had a, a dream week since. It's been amazing. So that's but that's the story of of Arthur's birth. That's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. And I remember the the last parts of the hospital for us. We had got this text chain going in some app or something so that I could write one text and it would auto populate it to a bunch of people. And the struggle was actually getting to my iPad to write down birth story because it's too long to type it out on a phone accurately. And I kept getting hijacked. Like that was my real job, right? The, the morning after, because um, Theo was born at 10.06 PM on a Thursday. And a lot of people wanted to know, and they're nervous and they're happy and they're excited. And it was my job to get this information out. And I just physically couldn't get to it. Whereas in my normal life, you know, writing a quickie text or an email or anything like that, so I can do it every day. And this one, I just couldn't quite get to it. And I also wanted to author it, you know, write a little thing. Everyone's healthy. Everyone's happy. And I just remember I had this sense of frustration of not being able to 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 get to that. Um, but then the last part I'll tell on, on our story, because this one's really about yours, the unlock moment that you had introducing to the grandparents, I am fortunate that mine was carrying him into the house. And I'm fortunate because my mother took a photo of me doing that. And I we have that photo printed out somewhere. And so that moment where it became different enough for me or something, I actually have recorded in in, in photo. So that was, uh, yeah, that was my moment. It's a great cool. moment. It was fun. Yeah. It's been a wild ride. It's been a wild ride. And yeah, like I said, we've had, we felt, we feel so lucky that 
we've had such a great experience and we'll have to do another podcast about kind of the first week. Maybe we'll, we'll maybe we'll do some, uh, some back-to-back episode or something to get that in. Cause the first week's been amazing. Um, we've had a great little boy and it's been really good, but yeah, that birth experience was, you know, there's a lot of hype leading up to it and we're really lucky that it, that it really, it really went so well. Well, that's incredibly special. And you know, what, what we know is that you'll never be the same because this is your first child's first day, first week. And yeah. Welcome to Dad Rob. Yeah, it feels good to be finally uh, living up to the name of the of the podcast. So, yeah. well, Brad, should we let's stick with tradition? Do you have any fa- wins or fails for this week? I know I've got plenty. Um, the win is is actually all time together. So, Sarah Beth teaches class on Wednesday nights, and uh, and our nanny leaves about two hours before Sarah Beth gets home. So, the win is I get to spend time with Theo one on one. And what I've started to do is I call old, I call family and friends that I haven't touched base with in a while. That's what I spend the time because he's kind of winding down. He really wants to be held or be in the lily. And so last night I got to touch base with some people that I just, you know, one of my, one of my friends, Eddie, I was like, Brad, I saw the thing about Theo. I'm so happy for you. He's a friend from college. And I said, but Brad, I just have this one quick question. What's a Sarah Beth? In other words, I hadn't talked to Eddie since before Sarah Beth and I started dating and so it was just, that was a beautiful moment that I got to share last night and that Theo gets to see me on FaceTime talking to other people and, and that we get to hold that space together. The loss is I was so tired by the end of the night that Sarah Beth comes home feeds Theo and we put him to bed in his, his nursery. And, uh, and Sarah Beth was like doing something with some laundry and I was watching a show and I just hit pause and walked myself upstairs and brushed my teeth and got into bed. I didn't say anything to Sarah Beth. I didn't, I didn't acknowledge it. Just, I was just zombified. Um, and so she just thought I ghosted her or I was mad or something. And I was like, nope, I just, it was a long day and all the things. And I, I just, I forgot to mention to you that hey, it's nine 15. I'm tired. I'm going to bed. I just ghosted. <laughs> so that's my, that's my uh, husband, dad fail. Um, and my win were both last night. Um, you, though, dad wins and fails now that you are a dad, Yes. So yeah, give us your report card. More than I can count. Uh, mm. I've got enough this week for a lifetime on both ends. Um, I'll give. I'll. I'll leave it with two wins because the the birth was its own thing. I think the birth was a total win. Um, that, but two small wins for this week. One is um, we got Arthur out of the house, which is a big step mm-hmm. in the first week. We're very proud of ourselves, um, and I got to carry him in a in a sling. And so we did, we just had him there for about an hour on a walk outside. And that was awesome. Cause he basically just I think slept you went to a, me. I got a photo of you took him to a bakery. Yeah. We went to a coffee shop. That's wonderful. Yeah. We didn't sit, but we, we got in and out and we've had some adventures actually this week, which is great. Uh, and then the smallest one, which happened just before we started recording is new dads will know this. These babies, one, they're just, he poops like crazy. Uh, so many diaper changes. Really? Um, and yeah, tons. Uh, it's wild. And I have multiple times now you started to undo him and then he'll wee in the middle. Yep. That'll happen. And this happens. This is classic. And everyone warns you about it. And I've like messed up like three times. Uh, and then I've been trying to kind of figure it out. And then just before this, I kind of played my cards right and he weed while I had it open, but I was able to kind of like put the old diaper on top and yep. Got it all ca- caught, and that was a that was just like a real, real win. So it's amazing. It's amazing uh, where life takes you. That this is the this is the win for this week. But it was awesome. It's the um, little things. 
it, it, it is little things and we don't use it anymore, but we've got a, um, uh, a wipe warmer. So it's like a little warming drawer for the wipes. And the reason we got it, and my very good friend Adrian said, it's the least you could do. But one of the reasons boys pee while you're changing them is because you're putting something cold and damp on their penis. And that's, that causes them to have a natural reaction and pee. So we're actually, you know, and it's not encouraging him, but we're doing things that cause him to, 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 to pee while changing. Yeah. And so the, the warmer was supposed to help with that. Um, it's going to happen. And it's not, it's just one of those, it's not a big deal things in life. And I think this also comes from you and I being athletes, but also having been around injuries before human body's not a mystery and it's not that disgusting. Just deal with it. You know? So, yeah, it's a big, it's a big, but, but both the birth, the birth, the baby, and also breastfeeding, which I kind of want to talk about. I think this is a massive lesson for guys in get over it, get comfortable with the body yeah. and get comfortable with your partner's body. Like be able to talk about things, you know, some couples are super open with each other. Some couples aren't. The fact that Laura and I could have really open conversations about all this stuff is super helpful. Yep. Uh, but on the, on the, the warmer, that's something we didn't get. Someone's like, you should get that. Like, There's no, I'm not getting a, a white warmer for my son. He'll yep. be fine. Mistake. I wish I had it. Because we change him in the middle of the night and it's my job, which is fine. I love it. Totally in. Laura feeds him. I change his diapers in the middle of the night. It's the one thing he really hates is he, we put him on the changing table and it's cold and it's cold at night and we have to strip off all his clothes to, or not, you know, at least the bottom half to get him changed and everything's cold and he just doesn't like it. And I, if I was like, oh, if he had something warmer, it would be a much more pleasant experience. He'd probably cry less. It would just be a less traumatic experience for him in the middle of the night. So that's one of my regrets. Um, yeah, I thought of it as just being, cause they, they're throwing so much silly stuff at you, including the one that I still think is silly. And we did not get is a bottle sterilizer and I'm glad we didn't. And you can look it up that you pretty much don't need it. Um, but there's just weird things that people think, you know, that make your life better and they don't. And I usually resist consumerism just for consumerism's sake, but the wipe warmer, Nope. That turns out that was a good one. And it was, I think we got it used at a thing is 22 bucks. And I'm like, yep, that, that is worth that for sure. <laughs> we'll have to someday make a list of like, maybe we'll create a website where it's like our, our buys and don't buys or something like yeah. things we liked, things we don't like. Um, but anyway, we've been going on. Why don't we wrap it up there? Yeah. I'm, I'm very happy to back. wrap it up there and I'm happy to have you back and healthy and happy and all the good things, Rob. Well, well done. You, Laura, Arthur championship Burnett's good job. I, I p- played a very little part in it, but I'm proud of the part I played. So on to the, on to the adventure now, now we get into it. Now we get into uh, it. Thanks. Ev- yeah. Thanks everyone for listening. We're on to a new chapter in the podcast. We're now both dads, less about pregnancy, more about, uh, being dads and more about business. We'll get back into it. So if you have questions, if you've got comments, uh, if you have uh, dad wins or fails, email us at daddyopodcast at gmail.com. And please like, subscribe, follow us, uh, help us out. Uh, we're trying to make something here. Brad, good to see you. We'll talk good soon. Good to see you too. Bye-bye. Thanks, everybody. Bye.